Welcome to No Sidekicks, a Magicians Rewatch podcast where we'll be discussing every episode of The Magicians in order and with a lot of feelings. I'm Dara. I'm Olivia. And it's the season finale. It's the season finale. Crazy. I can't believe we did a whole season. All 13 episodes. After this episode, we'll be taking a little bit of time off, but don't worry. We'll still be back with new episodes in mid-September and we'll keep posting on socials in the interim. So make sure you're following us at No Sidekicks Pod on Instagram for more funny, witty little posts. And I think Olivia has a little note before we get into it. Before we jump into the finale episode, have you brought me little cakes? Uh, We want to warn those watching that there is a lot of graphic scenes in this episode. So many to list that the content warnings for both the show and our recap will be in the show notes. Heed the timestamps, please. Your care comes first, always. Always. All right, let's go fuck some shit up. (laughs) Let's go back to Fillory. discussing have you brought me little cakes the 13th episode of season one aka the season finale Ooh. we did it we did a whole season of the staying podcast <laughs> oh feels big it was written by sarah john and david reed who is credited as a story writer for most of the season but will go on with a writing credit for 21 episodes wow. it's also directed by scott smith who directed episodes two and three of the season and most of the first season of skins and it first aired april 11th 2016 the episode description from netflix is quentin and julia travel to fillory where they try to track down their friends and search for a way to kill the beast once and for all pretty straightforward so let's take a stab at it my description is quentin narrates a la christian in moulin rouge penny meets his (laughs) telepathic pen pal irl the gods get grosser and quentin passes off a disgusting task to his ex alice the beast gets a face reveal that no one really wanted (laughs) wow i think it was good but i think it could be a little tighter a little tighter (laughs) they like brevity i have the witch and the fool face their truths the Mm. gods are the worst Penny meets his mental pen pal and gets a new tattoo. That was subtle. He did get a new tattoo and I was like, wait a second. And and that makes me think that either they all know how to do tattoos very quickly or I don't know. Ma- I guess magic and tattoos is like an easy thing to handle. Maybe. I mean, we saw Katie doing an R- IRL tattoo, but like maybe there's a way to like manipulate ink magically and Victoria can just do that. Maybe. What did you think of this episode, Olivia? I had a lot of feelings about this episode. It brought up a lot of questions in terms of the larger narrative arcs that we've seen of the season, specifically with Quentin, Julia, and Penny. I mean, it really brought in everybody. It like it had everybody kind of question the way they've been acting the whole season. Everybody except Margot, who we know is flawless. It had Elliot questioning himself. It had Alice kind of questioning her. Um, how she's been for the last few episodes and also kind of confronting some things about her with Q kind of passing the torch or the jar to her. Uh. And then like, obviously Julia and Q had the biggest things to examine and look about. And then obviously the cliffhanger. Normally I don't love a cliffhanger device, but I feel like this one is so big that it's, it's almost not a real cliffhanger unless they do 
decide to go like skins uk and just say hey whole new cast for season two except we'll keep quentin and julia (laughs) like so i i think they packed a lot in i think it was very entertaining i think some things were gratuitous but they were including things that happened in the book and adapting character journeys and overall i think they did a pretty good job with it i think the ending is obviously really unsatisfying and i think the Josh and Victoria stuff is really unsatisfying, but everything else feels like I feel like the it, I feel like the season is complete, but also not because it's a fucking cliffhanger. I don't know. Mixed yeah. feelings. How do you feel about this episode? I, I agree. I agree on all of those parts. We've been talking about how uh, the last couple of episodes, the act three of this season have been setting up a lot and a lot of that comes to a head. Like you said, a lot of it is unsatisfying. There's some curveballs. Like the Elliot thing that I wasn't really thrilled about. But the fun, the meta part about this is that the Julia Quentin, the 40 timeline thing, it really is so, it's so off-putting and it's supposed to be because that's exactly what the watch woman was hoping when she changed things or when a lot, like what's her Jane? What was her face? You found this off-putting? It's, it's the word off-putting that's throwing me off. Or, like, I'm just referring to, like, the cliffhanger of it all. Like, the fact that it doesn't end in, a, like, a nice little bow because nothing that happened in the last three minutes of the episode was expected. Like, even even our main villain was like, oh, this is new. I feel like maybe... I'm getting a little meta about it, but I feel like what we've been watching in all of this season has been kind of, like, what has been happening according to Jane's like changes and we were seeing all of the tiny little things that she had changed and then this was the culmination of that final change that she made before she ultimately dies and no one knows how it's going to end and no one knows what's going to happen that's why it's a cliffhanger it's a little spooky I mean I like that Quentin like I like the so the beginning of it is very meta because Quentin is self-inserting himself into his fandom but I like that there's like an autonomy to it halfway through the episode. Like the table even turns within the episode where Quinn's mm-hmm. like, I mean, not not just his hero journey changing, but also him straight up being like, Jane changed things. Now it's my turn. I'm changing things. So yeah, I do really enjoy that aspect of it. It's a complex episode and it's a complex cliffhanger. It both works and it also is frustrating as hell. Yeah, um, they fit they fit so much into it that I thought that it was an extra long episode and it wasn't. They just really were like, let's smush everything in in this standard length. Yeah, this was the first rewatch for me where I was like, oh yeah, I remember how season one ends because for years it always just bled into season two for me. And I'm like, wait, that's how season one ended? Are they insane? Sarah and John like a little bit of insanity. Like that's their thing. I think for the most part... Other than thinking that like half the cast is dead, it's a very satisfying conclusion to season one because the beast has been like, I think we lost focus on the beast in the middle, but he's been the, you know, the antagonist since the start of since literally episode one. So it feels satisfying that we finally got to Philly, Fillery. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, We finally got to Fillery and we're finally facing off with him. But- I mean, we saw we saw in the previous episode, or maybe it was 
it was either 112 or 111, but uh, when they were doing the probability test and then they kept dying in all of those different timelines. And then when they go to Fillory, it went to white and they really had no visibility into what was going to happen in their futures if they chose that path. And it's like landing on a cliffhanger, like you said, they might all be dead. We're jumping ahead. This is, we haven't even gotten to the episode, y'all, but like, who knows what's happening at the end of this episode? And they didn't either. Like, we're, we're just as in the dark as our beloved characters fun scary times (laughs) scary times yeah yeah and fun scary questions in terms of story like i i feel like the narrative arcs of quinn and julia are really disheartening at the end of this i think story-wise i'm mostly satisfied but like individual character narrative arcs i'm i'm frustrated but Mm, am i frustrated because it's bad or am i frustrated because it's good mm, the previous leons fillory exists the chat wins plover the beast one world among many jane and her many time loops julia was supposed to be at break bells gasp but she summoned a goddess instead battle magic so nobody dies bottled emotions which don't work out well alice and quentin break up and q has friends <laughs> sorry the last point <laughs> okay Good. yes that was just kind of like how the previously ended like he mm. has friends and he is loved and i think that concept is very relevant to this episode he says like the term my friends multiple times and his like hell at the end of this episode is that he fucked up and all of his friends got hurt And he is, as he said, a lesser magician and cannot fix it. So Q having friends is very big to his little narrative story. Yeah. Yeah. So we start with Quentin narrating with a little voiceover. How do you feel about the voiceover of this episode? (laughs) Oh, I mean, now that you've said the word self-insert fan fiction, I can't get it out of my head no it's fine i think that the titles of the chapters are more interesting than him doing the voiceover i i find that that's like pretty telling and i like the part where the voiceover stops that's the not to be because i'm like happy that it's over the turning point of when that happens is interesting to me but we'll talk about that when we get there no i totally agree i think it makes the voiceover more satisfying that it stops halfway through with a big character decision i absolutely love that um it makes it so much better i of course loved this because i (laughs) write not only do i write fan fiction but i'm just a writer in general and so like the first line is i like fillerine further book seven i will think of a great title later (laughs) and that is like the most real real writing process i've ever seen it's so good like that is just what it's like and he's like title mm. tbd like that's just yeah. so it's just so the, the hashtags on ao3 are like sorry i it, i will do this better next time hashtag uh <laughs> i literally just like leave notes it's like come back to this later it's like you're dumb for not thinking of this sooner be better than this be john green like these are my notes sometimes <laughs> when i write um but very often i have to just be like come back later keep writing so yeah this is good to me. I love it. I love writing Quinn. I do also love that the voiceover isn't necessarily what he's writing down. We'll get to that in a minute because I I, I get very excited about this. But yeah, he gives us a bit of Fillory backstory about the gods and we get to see what Fillory looked like, which is just 
wild. It's very pretty. Unicorns do exist. Just, I just need Richard to know that. So did you catch that at the top? I didn't. No. Yeah. There's like, while he's doing all this exposition, there's like a bunch of like really nice scenic shots, but one of them is like, it looks like a miniature pony, but it also has a giant horn. So it's like a unicorn. And I was like, fuck yeah. yeah. I was very distracted by like the fillery kind of looks like a flat earth with like a large body of water. And then Mm. underneath it's like mountains all the way down. But then- There's also, I don't know if they're planets or what, like a bunch of little round, colorful things circling Fillory, almost like a ring, like the ring of Saturn, but it's like made up of a bunch of little things. And it's just like, what? Yeah, they really went full fantasy with it. I, I mean, I've never, I've never read the book, so I really don't know if it's also illustrated in the books that way. But ev- as everyone knows, I'm like a Trekkie and so... Trekkies, Trek, Star Trek is just based in science, and so there's just a lot of regular-looking planets. So mm-hmm. something like Fillory does not really exist in all of the other media that I consume. But um, yeah, I'm sure it makes things uh very magical and confusing for everyone that lives there. I'm sure. Yeah. Okay, great. So Q is writing this just like Frodo is at the beginning of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> He's writing like the last book in Bilbo's journey, and. Q's explaining like how Fillory came to be, and the first one is called Prologue. Holy shit, you guys, Fillory. And he he's explaining all of this magic while we're also seeing them like approach Ember and Umber's temple. And it's him and Juliet kind of walking in with torches, and like he's he's beseeching them. And it's it's really cute because Julia at least goes like Come on, Q, say it with like more conviction. <laughs> we get like maybe the only really funny part of this episode is Q going, Ember, Ember. <laughs> That's the weird voice. I think the funniest part of this episode comes like next. I really love when she's like, Are you okay? And he's like, No, I just stabbed my own hand. <laughs> like, it's so I real. know. There's like there's the the my favorite parts of the show are like the no bullshit and and that really comes through in this episode in many ways. Um, but that's a great example of one. And also just like there's this whole scene where Julia's like, Well, how did how did they summon the god before in the book? Like, don't you remember? And he's like, It's all poetry. The, the his blood sang to the gods, and she's like, Maybe it's fucking literal, and like finds immediately this little handprint with blood on it. And I was well, like she says maybe it's literal after she finds the handprint of blood. But it was a very easy find. And I'm <laughs> I was like, this is so, so easy. <laughs> I, don't I, I don't love how easy it is. I, I will say that took me out because it's like very hidden and immediately she just pulls the thing back and it's like, here it is. Um, yeah. I think that's just both for the sake of this not being a long scene because the episode yeah. already runs longer than all of the other episodes by like yep. five minutes or so. But also it could have been a set thing. There's like a, a question of the set thing later when they're like oh the castle that isn't really there is like a nod to like the magicians running out of money (laughs) yes yes that was the thing i was thinking about earlier okay yeah all of this to say is like they kind of set they set everything up amber appears and he's i don't know if i have any expectation about what this this god is supposed to look like i don't know if i feel any certain way about him but I'm a fan. In the books, they're literally just rams. Like they're they're not like part human, part ram. They're just oh, fucking they're rams not walking around talking. Nope. So I like that they kind of twisted it into being. Oh, now I'm doubting myself. 
about the that they're not satyrs. I love it. I love a satyr. Okay, I'm not gonna look this up. Okay, well, if we're incorrect, we'll issue a statement. I, honestly, I'm like, I need to like reread the books every time I do this podcast. I'm like, I have I the first one more. in my possession. I guess I should read it. Yeah, I think I just need to audiobook it on my commute. I like this first scene. I think it's fun, and I think they cut off at a very good point where there's, like, you know, it's it's a little trophy. We're doing the hand. It's also a callback to the first episode where he has to, his hand on the stone. Oh, not the first episode. What episode? Third? Oh, uh, you mean the, the, the sigil? The yeah. burn? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was episode two, I believe. Yeah. Um, It's a nice little callback to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they walk into another room and they see him, and then it yeah. it does the and we cut to credits. Yeah, I did write. Are they transported or were they like granted entry oh, somewhere? I, I don't like that we didn't see that. I I find that this this sequence is confusing, and then we see it twice, and I was like, guys, really? And it wasn't yeah. clear the second time. No. So whatever. Anyways, we cut to credits. Q acknowledges that he's going to go back and tell everyone what actually happened from the beginning. And it's called Chapter One, The Journey of the Witch and the Fool. So we get back to where Julia and Quentin are in London in 1942. They're following Jane into the TARDIS looking phone box. Hilarious. This this part was fun. He like acknowledges that the camera that is looking through the car mm-hmm. at them following Jane is actually another character following them which i thought was like so it was a fun thing to do but then i was like god this is going to be confusing like is q seeing what we're seeing i just like thought way too much about it and then i was like you gotta let it go he's writing from (laughs) later which is why he's able to go back and i like that Mm. we don't get to know because like that's how books work so yeah and we learned that the air is point two percent opium crazy i like that we get the reveal of fillery again that we kind of ended the last episode with and he and julia like look like they're about to cry Mm. they're just so excited to be there and then this is where i'm like okay so it's not actually quentin's words it's what he's thinking as he's writing it because (laughs) there's this moment where he goes oh oh um if you're a big fan you'll recognize this scene it's like (laughs) we know he's not writing oh ah oh in the book so it's like this is actually his internal monologue as he's writing the story and i just i love that quentin's like quentin's nerd manner or something whenever he gets excited he does that little like oh oh i have the oh i have a fact and it's just i it's i think it's my favorite quentin thing it's very cute yeah and he talks about the scene with the with the snare and Jane Chatwin getting caught in it. And it's cute. It's but it's very prisoner of Azkaban of them watching Buckbeak mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. immediately. So they're sitting and they're watching Jane struggle with this thing that's been tied around her, like with this mm-hmm. trap that she's tied into and it's enchanted, so she can't just like untie it and walk away. And they're like, When are the witch and the fool gonna show up? The witch and the fool are never going to be able to see her. And then they're like, oh, it's us. (laughs) Which is uh, funny. Yeah, It's very satisfying. And I do, even though it's like handed to us, I do love Quinn's. Oh, which one do you think I am? I'm, wait, it's also so funny that he says that because he's the one who solves the riddle for Jane and she still calls him the fool. And I'm like, hold on. I'm about to go off on this. Please. I, what is up with Jane in this thing? First of all, like, Quentin isn't foolish here. Like, um, but I also, she goes, you don't look like any witches or fools I've seen here. What? 
why are you stereotyping witches and fools? Like, why, if they're like, we're the witch and the fool, would you be like, but you don't look like a fool? Like, what is this attitude, Jane? She is, like, as a kid, pretty annoying. And then, like, in I probably I don't meet your heroes kind of way. Like, <laughs> like you know, it was yeah. the books were written a certain way and then he meets her in real life and she's like kind of a teenage brat, which is yeah. to be expected. Like, I mean, I've been a teenage girl. I was like that. So, it, But it's, it's just, just a very weird thing. It's like, do they look a certain... Like, and we understand the stereotype of witches, but it, it's just like where she's like, again, Quentin does nothing to indicate that he is a fool. And she just, thank you, witch. Thank you, fool. Ta-ta. Yeah. It's like, what is it? I don't understand your vibe, it's dude. So, it's so goofy, and it's also just like, she owes him because he, like, solved this riddle, and she's like, wow, how did you know that? And he's like, I read it. Not a fool. Not a fool. Anyways. Also, anyways, he looked so excited to solve this. Yeah. Like, when he mouthed silence to her, he was just, like, jumping out of his skin. Oh, my God. But let me say this. I would not be able to get out of those things either. I'd be the Jane in the situation. I'd be like, well, I do not know. I'm just going to sit here and die. Um, <laughs> I mean, I would just keep throwing guesses at it, probably. But yeah, yeah, you don't want to. So the whole point is that you don't want to eat something smarter than you, which interesting take. But they solve the riddle. Jane goes away and then they get a moment to like freak out because like, yay, they're in the books. They're in Quentin's favorite thing. Also, yeah. we get we get our i believe it's our second or third i forgot to look this up our second like bitches line from quentin like i know the first one was false romancy bitches but mm. this one is i am in that scene bitches <laughs> his little he mm, s- bitches is he great. said that oh my yeah. god i missed it oh my gosh <laughs> yeah what you don't know about that scene is that i am in that scene bitches <laughs> Oh, um, yes, yes, yes. Yes. Um, okay. And then after this, we find out that it was Martin who followed them in the phone booth portal. Yeah. He's like, he's not even in this part of the book. Like, it's so, you know, I'm like, don't say it out loud, but whatever, fine. And the it cues the second chapter, which is, by all means, hinge your entire quest on a traumatized boy. And I wrote in my notes, in parentheses, hey, I know a traumatized boy. <laughs> it's cute. To the nine. Yeah. Oh, I, I get it. I didn't get that at first. Yeah, no. So uh, they're kind of like walking and talking and they're like, why are you following my... He's like, why are you following my sister? He's like, well, why are you following your sister? And it's like a very silly little thing. And, and you know, like Q knows who Martin is. Martin ho- has no idea who these like strange adults are. And he's... Q is really trying here. He's like, very much with no context for Martin, is mm-hmm. like, you are trying to be here because you don't feel safe at home. I'm going to try to help you. And they're like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, Julia goes, Christopher Plover is a very powerful magician and we need to find a way to kill him. And so they catch Martin up really quickly on like what their goal is. And they get a connection to a knife maker through Martin because like obviously Julia and Quentin know all of the books and they know that this is where he's going we were literally just watching the pages from the library like they were they were like yeah he's like I can make it and then nothing happens (laughs) it was a great scene I think Quentin is coming on a little strong here for being a complete stranger to Martin but then I don't know Martin knows about magic so maybe he's not surprised to hear like this strange man just being like none of this is your fault Martin (laughs) but I do think Q has a positive energy and I I do like that Martin is down to help and that they are kind of like saying we're doing this to protect you so Martin says he might know a guy I I know a place (laughs) 
<laughs> the place is the knife maker. Um, <laughs> so they go to the knife maker to commission him to make the blade that they read about. And it's a blade to kill a master magician. The knife yeah. maker says that he has the only two moonstones in Fillory. And they're apparently very small. And Quinn's like, this is very disappointing. And, um, the, knife maker, <laughs> <laughs> the knife maker is like, shush, uh, I just have to mate them. And this is right. where I pause and I say, books mate? Stones mate? What else mates in this magical universe, I what is They're the just, what are the qualifications for inanimate objects mating? Yeah, they're just gonna keep throwing them in. We'll have to keep a little tally. I love the knife maker, by the way. Okay. He's got like the best energy of the episode. He's just <laughs> like, uh, it's not every day that someone asks me to make a weapon to kill a god, and I'm like, well, that's fair. Uh, yeah, fair, absolutely special day. Yeah, and he says that it's very expensive and that, like, he knows that they know what he wants, right? Because he's like, are you from Earth? And they're like, yep. And with almost no context, truly agrees. Truly almost no context. Julia's just like, we'll give you it. She just, she's just like, I have power and I will give you whatever you need. Of course, we'll give you whatever you need. I'm like, damn, Julia, you don't even know love it i love how she's like yep we know and yes we agree and i was like whoa and then martin is the reader or the viewer and he's like what the fuck was that about yeah and they're like hey it's gonna be whoever is next high king of fillery he wants a seat at court and that i love that scene i think that was so fun like good world building we're in Fillory, bitches. I have mixed feelings about that. Julia's doing like a very powerful walk after this moment. Like she knows <laughs> she saved the day and she's like doing her little strut. But then she like throws this giant bone and I'm like, I know it's biodegradable, but like weird energy, Julia. Like you're too excited about this power right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's just strutting and then she just chucks it and they hear it like clatter all weird and they're like, what? And so then they go and check it out and they find ember's temple and i love how enamored q is here he's just he's like, like he's like oh my god it's the temple you know they know what it is and it's very exciting but the wind starts to pick up and martin yes. is like oh my god it's her yeah it's that lady i hate her so he runs away and they're like no but they before- say in fillery with magic comes danger and i'm just like that should just be like the warning for the whole show with magic comes danger. I think that's spot on. Yeah. Triggering chapter three, the watchwoman or the other, other identity. Hugh kind of gives him like narration at the top that he's like, this is my favorite random villain from mm-hmm. the books. Yeah. It feels like maybe she's like the main villain, but I guess not. Yeah, we don't know enough about the books to appreciate some of this, I think. But I, I love that it's the other, other identity because... If you're paying attention, then you know exactly who it's going to be. Oh my god, it's Jane. This is my favorite scene of the episode. It's like a reveal. I remember when I first watched the show, it's a reveal I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. it just makes it so much more complex and fun. And uh, Julia's kind of like freaked out and... Q's like, oh, oh, right. Yes, I know her. Yeah. <laughs> Q's like, I'll fill you in later. <laughs> Is it just me, or does she seem a little bit annoyed to be there, Jane? I don't know if she seems annoyed to be there. She seems annoyed with Quentin, but in a very confusing way. Because at first, she's like, 
what are you doing here? You aren't born yet. And he's like, well, I know about the time loops. And she was like, as you should by now. And I'm like, you just said yeah. he wasn't born yet. Yeah. That line really bothered me. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of all at once. And then she's talking about him in this like great, this is the most like insight we have into her character in a while. She's like, you're the volunteer tomato, but she says volunteer tomato because she's British. And um, she explains that he's just like the straight vine in the garden that just keeps coming up. It's always you because it's just, it is always you. Like you, you're the one. She says it in such a way that it's kind of like, I mean, I guess, like, I guess this is who we've got to work with. (laughs) So she's not like thrilled, but she's like, it's you because you're here. Like that's, that's the reasoning. What's your fun fact? Well, before I do the fun fact, I was going to say, I like that. It's kind of like a, a play on the chosen one. Like Quinn mm. makes himself the chosen one oh, uh, I know because he's seems- a volunteer. I like that. I like that there's no chosen one in this, but it's, mm. it's cool that like, you know, through 40 time loops, he is the one. Fun fact, one of the names we were considering for this podcast is the volunteer tomato. Yeah. I tomato. love this line. I love this line because it's just like the biggest... Because it's like such an accurate representation of Q. Like he just loves Fillory so much and he loves his friends so much that he is just constantly showing up even though he's not being called to, even though he's yeah. not being chosen to. He's like, and that's I'm just here. Quentin. Yeah. The volunteer tomato. The volunteer tomato. Okay. So Q looks so confused by this and he's like, okay. Oh, yeah. yep. I am. And then he says the volunteer tomato in a British accent, which is yeah. so cute. But also like so rude for an actual British person. <laughs> like when? <laughs> I don't know about you, but whenever I'm around British people, I do still impersonate whenever... them. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. Yeah. It's a great thing to do with anybody who has an accent. Just repeat it back to them. Like it's a joke. Wonderful. Quentin. Great. I, I don't have a lot of social skills. I'm just like him. Okay. He tells her that this is the last loop in her time loops. And she says why. And she's he says it's because you died. I love the way she handles it. She's just like, oh, did I die doing something brave? And, you know, he says, yeah, definitely. And then she gets into her, well, <laughs> see to it that I get a temple in my honor. Mind the chin. This is yeah. very this sweet. Is an- and it, it's funny, but it's funny, though, because it's the same energy as the teen Jane that we just ran into. She's like, oh, well, goodbye, fool, witch and fool. Like, it's the same kind yeah. of goofy, <laughs> like, matter of fact, like, well, of course, do this for me. Yeah. Like, and yeah. I actually really like Jane as a character. She's really, like, kind of all over the place. But, like, I, I really do enjoy her, at least in season one, because she's just so she's most of the time no bullshit. And I appreciate that from a woman like i feel like we get a lot of characters that are men that are like that but it's not mm-hmm. as common to have someone like her and i really i really like that about her so even though I think, she's like this i i still enjoy it a lot yes well i think you have to have this energy if you're a time witch like if you're hopping around in time like you're technically like existing out of normal time so it's like oh well of course i I knew I died at some point because I'm hopping around. Like it has to happen, even if it's not yeah. happening in this moment right now. So True. yeah. And then Julia is like, but why, like, if you're who you are, like, why are you the villain? And she Jane is like, Am I though? Am I, I though? Love it. Oh, and it's just like a great testament to like 
people telling a story from a certain perspective, you're going to be a villain in someone's story. And she's like, mm. depends also, on whose book you're reading. I also think it plays into what you were just talking about. Like she's a woman and like women are often painted as villains when they're not mm-hmm. actually doing villainous shit. They're just like ending up for themselves. <laughs> Trying to save the world and working with this volunteer tomato that I have. That's yeah. what I got to work with. Displaying a little sprinkle of power. Villain. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, I think that's like very much speaks to like, this is just very Sarah Gamble to be like, was I a villain though? Uh, yeah. We do find out that there was another Watcher woman though. And Jane learned magic so she could fight her. And like, part of me is very annoyed with this information. Cause I'm like, excuse me, I need more. <laughs> like, tell me more. What? Yeah. Does that mean the other Watcher woman was a villain? Like, very unclear. I have questions. I also think that she's referring to herself, to be honest. Okay. As as much as I'm, huh. I I think it's, but I could be either way. I think it's either there really was another Watcher woman that she was learning things from, or it was just her. And it was her older self teaching her younger self, because it's just like another loop oh. of her life. Yeah, true, true, um, true. Because... Either Julia or Q, one of them says that it hurts their brain. And yeah. it's like, yeah, me me too. It's yeah, a very she's like, I grew up concept. to be a touch more powerful than her. Yeah. And and like you would think that anyone who is training their younger self to be to grow up, you yeah. would think that you would have some advantages and know, know a little bit more. Fair. Um Fair. so then this is my favorite scene because of what happens next. So yeah. they're talking and Jane freezes. She goes, oh, I'm going to show you something. And she freezes Julia. Mm-hmm. And it's this very tense moment where Quentin is like, what is happening? Yeah. And, and Julia is Jane... just like staring in the distance as if like something is distracting her. Yeah. And Jane, because she's such an advanced magician is able to see that there is a patch on Julia's memory mm-hmm. and that something awful happened. What? Really? Go ahead. And it ahead. was likely made by a hedge. Oh, uh, yes. It was hedge. Yes. And replacing beautiful. something tragic yeah. with something beautiful, but false. It's a good line. And, and Q is like, can you remove it? And she goes, no, it's there for a reason. She's like, it's really messy, but it's there and it's doing what it's supposed to do. And I'm not going to fuck with it. Mm-hmm. And like, God, Smart. I just like don't have the words to describe the affection I have for this scene. Like we see kind of what we saw in the mm-hmm. last episode. Like we see the summoning and little bits and pieces and their positive bits that correlate with what Julia said. It's like Bender getting healed, Melody getting healed, Julia getting a mission the lady kisses her yes yeah why um because i think of there's a lot of kissing in this episode but it's all like very platonic that's i know it's just very strange like the goddess kisses julia jane kisses cute maybe because they were like back to back that i'm like why is everybody smooch? why are these two older female figures like like smooching these people do you think it's supposed to be it's supposed to be in parallel because we're like oh we know jane we know like the knowledge that she has and so also she just saw that q didn't see that yeah did we are we supposed to correlate those two and say like oh the lady underground and and jane are both like these like these like powerful women that are figures in Julia and Quentin's life. And they're both doing the exact same thing to our main, our, our little duo. Um, yes. I don't know. Maybe, maybe hmm. there's some stuff about that, but okay, that it makes does me feel, feel better about it. 
Yeah, it is weird. I did notice that it happens back to back. So Jane says to Q, if you still care about her, and Quentin's like, jumps in, he's like, of yeah. course, of course, mm-hmm. then protect her. Just say, say it one more time. I don't know if he absorbed it. <laughs> and then it she ends the thing and the freeze and Julia comes back and she says, oh, sorry, what were you saying? Because then mm-hmm. she can tell that something has been in it. Like, she's like, whoa, what was happening? And Quinn picks right up where it is and he kind of jumps in and he's like, okay, so here's blah, 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 what we got to do. So he's like moving things along so she doesn't think anything of it. He asks her to send them to the present, which is 2016. And she kisses them on the cheek and she's like, bye. And <laughs> And then they are. And then gone. we get chapter four. Everything sucks now, and here's why. Mm-hmm. Hillary 2016. It's kind of appropriate, like considering what was happening in the real world and then what's happening mm-hmm. in in uh Hillary because of the beast. So I just realized that that feels a little bit very close. Anyway, so while he's he's explaining this 2016, the tone of the like the color tone of the actual scene is really gray. Yes. The bright and, colors and warmth that we were seeing at Ember Temple and just it, throughout Fillory since we've been there is replaced at first with what feels like the regular mundane blue earth lighting. Yeah. The no magic lighting, which is interesting. But um, as we move through the ne- the following scenes, it just seems more like gray and dark. Yeah. So Quentin is doing a little before we get the line about the worst kind of predator we get the little airplane yeah and it was sent by elliot and it says enchanted this to find you if you ever arrive hope you're not dead margo being such a bitch follow map to find us l uh love a little enchanted airplane i think it's so cool that it's like this is just he enchanted it and it's just paused until quentin shows up if he ever shows up so useful so useful Um, love that so they, I guess, like, assumedly, like, I guess they go and follow the map. And yeah, and then we get Quentin explaining that the Fillory is ruled by the beast and it's dark and barren yeah. and it's ruled by the worst kind of predator that destroys childhoods. And then we show up to yeah. a bar where Elliot <laughs> is doing shots with what we later learn is a bulldog named Bristly Coat. <laughs> um, and I love this part because he's like, as soon as I saw them, I remembered, oh, we kind of all slept with each other and hate each other right now. Like, yeah, LOL, this is so good. Um, like the, the where the bigger perception and feelings are there, but you're in person and you're like... Oh, yeah, there's all this other small stuff that I forgot about because, like, I've just been kind of following my general love for you. And now that we're here, it's like, (laughs) oops. (laughs) If you've ever had a, uh, you know, workplace relationship that went sour, this is some legit shit. Yeah, he's like, I love you guys so much. Oh, right, you hate me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He also says, uh, that is largely my fault. And I'm just like, progress, Quinn. Yay, way to not blame others for hating you. Way to accept this is your fault. Yeah, Q has a long list of apologies. And he's like, crossed off Julia. And it was such a big one. And he was like, I did it. And then he's like, right, right, the other ones. (laughs) I forgot because there was a bunch of world ending stuff. And also like some of my fantasies just came true so uh (laughs) oops now i'm crash landing into this group of people who hate me yeah i love that they're just hiding at a bar too with a dog i think it's pretty pretty awesome um elliot breaks the silence yeah 
Yeah. And he's like, why am I standing or staring at the hedge bitch who like ruined your life? Oh, no. He says who tried to kill you. Like he's fair. And and he wasn't Ellie. It wasn't even there when that happened. So like it must have been a conversation that like. Elliot was there. What was he? In episode four. Are you talking about when she intercepted him? Yeah. He's like in the room when Quentin's on the couch and like he makes Q a drink after. Yeah. Oh God. Why did I think that was Yeah, because he because he like pets his head after. Uh oh my god. I remember okay. this. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. I resent. Um, okay. is this our first use of hedge bitch as opposed to hedge witch? It's pretty great. But we also know that Elliot is very anti hedge, so we shouldn't True. give him too much credit. <laughs> I was just wondering. The hedge bitch who tried yeah. to kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My next note is just walking through woods. <laughs> oh yeah julia well julia's like i'm here you don't have to like me and margo's right, like right, right. don't worry we don't and it's yeah. a lot of like hostility which yeah. is fine yeah, whatever so julia and q have like forgiven each other but it's just lots of amends still be- to be made but they have to i don't know save the world first which is tough. i kind of like that everybody hates julia on quinn's behalf though yeah that's kind of yeah. sweet yeah, it's um, like when you're when your friend breaks up with their ex and then they get back together and exactly. it's like, no, I know everything about them. Yeah, I don't yeah. think I will be forgiving them. Hmm. And Quentin does like the same speech where he's like, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her, guys. So and you're like, what it, about tone it down? All of us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> My next note is Margo is never wearing the right shoes. Yeah, she was packing in the previous episode, but for what? yeah so she's like the how much further until we get to the knife maker these shoes weren't cobbled for a quest which is a fucking hysterical and they're like yeah we're approaching it so they get there and q i don't know why q is they're not there yet as they're walking they run into a headstone they say they've been seeing them everywhere um lots of headstones but also lots of unmarked graves this Mm. one is marked it looks kind of small and it's a headstone for Martin Chatwin. It says, hi, King of Fillory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a bummer of a moment. Julia and Q specifically, like, linger as the group moves mm-hmm. on. They feel like, or at least Quinn specifically feels like, they failed Martin. Yeah. They were hoping he would still be alive and safe, and he's not. So yeah. they move on, and they reach the knife maker's house, which is pretty much the same. And we find out that it is now run by his son that we saw yep. in the previous time we were here and we're at chapter five be careful what you bargain for he (laughs) but the knife maker's son recognizes them and he's like great perfect timing he's like you aged well (laughs) (laughs) like actually we saw you yesterday but shh yeah and i the whole like i don't know this is just like me being like a time travel nerd the fact that they're all a little bit like wait what the sun i'm like come on like it's been a really long time for fillery like you come on so he's like i got the blade you gotta give me what you owe payment my is due. father payment, payment is, due. is due and the payment in this case is not just a seat at court but that they marry the knife maker's daughter uh, i guess so it's that an his- interest for waiting for so long. Fair. Well, also, maybe he's just like, I don't want to see that court. I just want to make sure my family is taken care of. I want to just True. keep making knives and making moonstones, you know? <laughs> so he he has a special knife, presumably made by him as well, that will identify who the true high king of Fillory is. 
um, since they are all children of Earth, and thus who will be marrying his daughter. Um, How do you feel oh, about this? I this okay, so lore. yeah, no, it's kind of I don't know, it's kind of weird. I so this is something that we were reading some articles about, like how the last episode was like perceived when it came out at the time and one of the articles had kind of remarked that it was like only the guys were getting their hands sliced and i was like is that true and i every time i watched this episode i just like couldn't tell if they were gonna keep if he was gonna keep going after elliot like if it was gonna go to margo next if elliot wasn't the one who had his hand sliced and i just like that was the only article that had kind of remarked on that and i feel like it was incorrect like i feel like any of them could have been the king and it just happened to be elliot i don't know what did you think of this if i remember correctly they're all in a line except they they start with i believe it, they start with q and then it's penny mm-hmm. and then it's elliot margo is like not in that line or if she is she's like she's not they're, after elliot they're lined up in two separate lines like he's going down the line it goes it goes quentin josh penny elliot and oh, then right, it, there's a space and then it's margo julia alice and and it's like they're they're on like almost like a v formation that makes it feel like they weren't going to yeah and and that's what was confusing to me and i'm like why and i'm like maybe it doesn't matter where were we okay the guy slices their hand with the knife supposed to draw blood and in the scene they're going through the line it's quentin josh penny elliot almost in like height order and it is they get (laughs) they get through all of them quentin's moment of like you thought it was gonna be me too right (laughs) (laughs) yeah so much of this episode is in his voice for so long and in a way that like i mean thank god thank god we don't get this for the whole season i i do love him but like it would be really exhausting to hear that all of the time which is probably why i haven't read the books yet but um anyways so we get to Elliot and Elliot's like asking a question and sure enough, a gash shows up in the middle of his hand and it's him. And Penny is like, oh, this is going to make him so easy to live with. I love that. <laughs> my Penny. You, this sir, will make you, him easier to live with. You don't live with him right now. Do you need to tell the class something? So, anyways, I mean, uh, I think live with as in they're just constantly all together yeah. at this point. There's also, also like a poor joke about like Elliot always being high and he's the high king yeah it's a it's an easy grab i also want to remark that before when when julie is explaining that they need to like determine who's going to be the high king or who's going to marry the daughter penny's like oh like if he's like i will i will do it like yeah and then they're like you don't get to volunteer yeah weird weird vibes penny to just be like yeah i'm down like it's not like you just get to bone like it's the, re- it's marriage, the rebound sir. the rebound is marriage <laughs> so right. we get one of my favorite scenes from this episode here which is margo and elliot having a moment we find out that elliot cannot leave fillory once he's married and king and that he quote can literally not be with anyone else Margo tries to say, like, you don't have to do this. And he, like, immediately bucks up and is like, no, I'm I'm doing this. Like, I'm miserable and I'm doing all this stuff to not be miserable and it's not working. So he basically thinks that doing something bigger and, like, bigger than himself will help him and that it all might be destiny that, like, you know, this was this was meant to help him in this time and to, like, get him out of that rough patch and to help him do something good. 
I definitely missed a line here because like we're yeah we're in chapter six which is how to prepare for a Felorian wedding and I like I think it's no, no, it's fine. And I think it's interesting because the way that this scene is constructed is Margot is coming over to Elliot. Like they, there's been a break between him actually getting his hand sliced and then like setting up for this wedding. And it almost feels like Margot is doing recon on behalf of Elliot because she's the one who's like bringing him this new information. And I think Elliot, even though he has like this vast understanding of the books of the Fillerine Further books, he doesn't really like know the details oh. like this. Margot is walking over and then she brings over this information to him and it feels like she was investigating things to him further because it would be a safe assumption in most worlds for Elliot to assume that as the king that he could just do whatever because that is how earth works and how earth has been like excusing king's infidelity forever so Elliot's like oh yeah this is a fine trade-off I just marry this woman and then I can do whatever I want because I'm in charge that is not the case and it's just like mm, I just I don't know already feels like they're friends again she's doing like she's looking for information for him to protect him and like you said that he like makes this choice with the full knowledge of what the restrictions are it's really nice what how do you feel about his decision though do you have like do you have thoughts on on that or i think it's good i mean you know how tired i was about like tortured addict elliot and i like that he's going into it as a, from twofold of like this is important and necessary but also like this is probably what i need and this is good for me to be away from everything and to yeah you know be outside of myself i also really like because both of them have read the books and it's a scene without q talking about fillery and so kind of Mm -hmm. like them all like elliot kind of having this bigger purpose within this magical world he's also hyper aware of elliot's getting his little fillerian moment it's nice he bows for margo and calls her margo the destroyer and then margo says is it okay that I hate that you're getting married? And I love this because yeah. like I've had complicated loves like this and Margot and Elliot's relationship is complicated. It's not cut and dry. It definitely makes it feel like, you know, part of the reason why she asked these questions on his behalf is not only protecting him, but because like she said, he's the only person she can stand. Like she, she needs him and she wants him and this will take him away in multiple ways. Not just like having a new relationship, like he had to balance with Mike, but it also means that he can't go back to earth. And so, but she's not saying that she says, I hate that you're getting married. And I just, I just appreciate this moment for the, all the complexities and nuances that their relationship holds. And he's like, yeah, but it just means you have to be my best man, uh, which I also love. It's cute because like they have been struggling with each other, even as recently as the previous episode where Margo literally kills a man to, because Elliot's fucking things up. Right. And like, they love each other and they haven't had a lot of moments to like check in and kind of like reset because they both have been struggling in their own ways back at the cottage i wonder how how long have they been in fillery like how long were they in fillery without q like how long has mm-hmm. elliot been sober basically well he isn't cuz he had his flask in this scene and he went to go take a drink out of it and then he decided because it's in it never empties so he's got access to it well the one that never empties was actually confiscated by the librarian this might be this might also Mm. never empty but we don't know olivia's fact checking you are correct i think that is (laughs) that's a good assumption uh 
I'm, I'm guessing okay. if he has multiple flasks, they're all enchanted. But I like multiple flasks is a lot. But I guess if anybody has them, it's Elliot because like he's got to coordinate his flasks. God yeah. forbid his like belt buckle doesn't match his flask metal, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we get a little smile from Margot at the best man comment. And then we cut the, we cut to the next chapter. Chapter seven. Weddings are so boring. Penny would rather astrally project into a dungeon. Amazing relatable i don't know about you great title yeah while they're all suffering through the wedding penny projects and is trying to figure out where victoria is once the wedding is fulfilled they get the knife and none of them can pick it up uh it makes like this searing sound when anybody Mm. tries to touch it it's burning them and the knife maker is like um are none of you master magicians because only a master magician can handle this knife i love this man I love Elliot's reaction to this knife. I don't necessarily love Penny's, but I love <laughs> Ellie. I know. I'm sorry. I love father-in-law. Why is this knife like a million degrees? I just love the um <laughs> father-in-law. <laughs> He's like milking the whole situation immediately. He's like, what else can I do? But then Penny, because he was astral projecting, was not in the scene and he runs up and he's like, oh, cool. And <laughs> grabs the knife and he's like fuck and look yeah i like that after where he's like i fucking hate this place like yes uh, it's more like him running up and going oh cool is very out of like i've never heard his voice get that high in 13 episodes like yeah that is not penny energy like maybe drunk penny running up and being like cool knife <laughs> but like it just him running up and doing that completely sober confusing me it is a little bit out of character and it might have been like a and uh let's do this a couple of different ways and arjun was just like being himself but it was the funniest one i i agree i think that we don't get a lot of that kind of goofy penny when he's around everyone else like he's like that when he's alone because no one's there to judge him but (laughs) yes the star trek reference i don't know also i just love like a penny elliott Quentin scene because they're all just goofballs. Anyways, they're all dumb. I um, I literally have in my notes, knife maker is like, wow, what a bunch of idiots. <laughs> like it's it's like the tone. Okay, so I have one thought about this knife maker. The knife can only be wielded by master magicians. When this right. happened, I was like, oh, is this what Jane and Fogg were talking about when they were like, we need to make them stronger, mm. like. Is this what was required of them to be master magicians? Perhaps. It could have been many things. It could have been Quentin knowing his specialty. It could have been Penny being able to travel with other people. Who knows not me? Yeah. Anyways. I mean, I think I don't think there are many master magicians, so yeah they want to limit who can kill god right i mean we also just like don't know what the qualifications of being a master magician are true i feel like katie probably is one but will we get a chance to see probably not i Um, mean fog definitely is um maybe some of the other professors obviously mykovsky is but beyond that i don't know all right we get to chapter eight like I said, be careful what you bargain for. Josh is, you know, trying to figure out if there's a way to trick the knife into thinking that they're master <laughs> magicians. And Julia's like, no, we need to actually be powerful like a god. And there's this bit that happens in this scene that I really did not like. Margot goes after Julia and she's like, yeah, that's obvious and that's not helpful. We need a plan. And Julia's like, no, that's the plan. Like, let's mm. go find a god. And I just 
I am a big Margot fan, but she's so antagonistic against Julia in a way that I'm like, chill, chill. Just like let her think out loud and like work on the plan together. Don't go at each other's necks. Like just chill. Yeah. I mean, I part of me is like, yeah, she's the catty mean girl. But the other part of me is like, I think she just kind of needed more lines. Like nobody. I mean, Elliot already had his whole big marriage thing, so he can't be there to do that yeah and penny's not gonna be catty like that his he's a different brand of mean so (laughs) yes so they determine that they need ember and umber's power but we find out that they haven't been seen for decades so the group splits up julia and q go to find ember penny and alice go to find victoria and elliot taps out because he has to consummate his marriage with uh mrs me I love that moment. (laughs) Mrs. Me. (laughs) It's like I the trope of like forced marriage is like so ridiculous. But then Elliot is making it kind of hysterical the whole way. He's like father-in-law and then Mrs. Me. And it's like very like this is why we love him. He's just such a, a weird guy, but in a good in a good fun way. Yeah. Yeah. It it does feel like in this moment, like Elliot's Elliot again, you know, I was just going to say that, but I didn't. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Oh my God. Also, he says, if I die while he's bawling himself, I will haunt his ass. Did that, did that line work for you? Yeah, it was so funny. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm it's sorry. okay. Just, You're allowed to find it funny. I just knowing, like, didn't care. <laughs> knowing that like ghosts are real and that Penny was like, I have a plan for the afterlife if this is what happens. Like that, <laughs> that's really great for true, me. Um, true, true. I it, when you think about it in the larger context, I think it is funnier. Yes, yeah, he's making he's making a little will. He's like, if this happens, <laughs> then this. Okay, so they're looking for the castle that Victoria supposedly held in, and this kind of weird and i yeah i like the bit about the castle that isn't there but i don't understand how we got here like why from from what in penny's astral projecting did they determine that this is where she is yeah and then what why is it invisible so the Uh, majority of this episode is just shot in like the woods in canada somewhere right yes they like literally do not have sets for any of this stuff. They have all the indoor sets, but all the outdoor stuff, there's nothing there. Yeah. And this is one of those things. And one of the articles we were reading was talking about how like this is a good analogy for the fact that they ran out of money by the end of the season because they don't yeah. have a castle. Yeah. Q does a whole bit about how like the people who had the castle ran out of money as well. <laughs> like that's so like the, the idea um, that yeah. they ran out of money and they were like, oops, we still have to build the actual castle part. So like build a great material is fine if you can't see it. So that means it's like hideous, but it's like it, it's fine because you can't look at it. Right. I mean, it's not hideous, but it's not like cute. OK. Yeah. OK. Like, have you been in, have you been in like a house that's just like drywall and like beams? I mean, I guess, or like, or like, it's like the, it's like a finished basement, but it's just barely finished. Yeah. Right. Like, it's like, we did it. The castle that is a finished basement. Yes. (laughs) So there are people guarding the castle that isn't there, which is a giveaway that the castle is there. And they start being like, well, what are we going to do for a diversion? And Margo's like, don't be stupid. They're men. I love you, Margot. But also for a second, it seems like she's about to flash them. And it's like, oh, Margot. But then you find out that like uh, 
Josh, Josh and her are like, oh, my sister, she's hurt. Like, come help her. I also love that. Like Josh puts on a little accent. Like <laughs> he like softens the R's like, my sister, come help. <laughs> like, <laughs> like Josh, nobody asked you to do that. Josh like went to NYU for theater, I bet. Like, and then he found out he was a magician. <laughs> yeah, no, this was a little confusing, but I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna keep moving because this was weird. So Penny and Alice like rush into the door that isn't there and they find Victoria immediately. And I guess that's just Penny's amazing astral projection that he was able to like walk out of. I don't know. I don't understand how is how it works. Alice starts casting to unlock the cuffs. And I mean, like mm-hmm. Penny, Penny and Alice going in is the right call. Like these are the people that are going to get sure. you out if they need to be. And Victoria says that there's someone else in the cell next to her. And we don't really find out who that is until later. Instead, we start a new chapter. Back at the beginning. Chapter nine, the gift of Ember. And we get this confusing scene all over again. We get the the line of children of earth. It is customary to bow. They didn't bow. They didn't bring cake. And yet he actually doesn't seem to care about these customs. Yeah. He says, who are you? They introduce themselves. And then he's like surprised to see Julia. He's like, he usually kills you by now. And he's like, I've been hiding in cake deficient Loria. (laughs) Which is really (laughs) a great line. It's like such a, it's such a, so like we've dealt with a lot of like really expert magicians in the show so far right like people who are like fog who are able to discern a time loop but not powerful enough to intervene like a time witch like jane and there's a lot of interesting like levels of magic and what people are capable of doing and so it's fun to see that ember is able to kind of like be like oh yeah you're not usually around like what's up like i've been here before who are you blah 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 he seems so disinterested in all of it but he's he's there he's he's vibing we find out that he's been hiding because he was tricked by the beast and that umber is dead because julia's like how did how did like they get a one-up on you or however she says it i didn't like it and he says fillery's magic belongs to no one which i like i think that's a very cool line Fillory says, like, I don't know, I was going to make a class comment, but now I'm not. Anyway. <laughs> it's just like there's no patent on the ma- the magic, right? Like, it's open source. Like, everyone yes. can <laughs> access it. Yeah. Yes. And then <laughs> he just starts to, like, lament. He's just, I'm so fucking bored, children of Earth. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's so- he yeah he's like another there's so many like don't meet your heroes in this episode like jane as a teenager is one and emperor this way is another that ties into the whole like childhood adulthood question and theme we've been exploring this whole season Mm -hmm. and yeah it's like q is very disenchanted with him he talks about how he's been like sleeping with nymphs and q is like well i'm here to save everything and he's like you're not a nymph but it's like q was like oh my god no like i'm here to actually take action i'm not here to sleep with you (laughs) okay so this scene is so great because i think both julia and q are ready to like pick a fight with him but they're both like pulling each other back because they're like wait don't like he's a god and and it's like it's a really fun dynamic because i think julia's gonna do it she kind of calls him out and then he gives an explanation and then q's like no this is not official like this is not sufficient like you need to be doing something and julia is like hey like 
chill, you know. They're both very much like, I will protect my friends, but I will not protect myself. Right. Q's voice breaks and he's like, no, I want to know. Yeah. Does he care or not? Oh, it's like so... Q said fuck respectability politics because he calls Ember a kind of a whiny bitch. Yeah, I do respect that. I do Um, respect that too. Yeah. But Ember says that after years of the time loops and everything, the Beast knows all of his tricks now and there's no way that Ember can actually step up and defeat him. So Q, you know, becomes the volunteer tomato and says, I want to be the champion. I'm ready to be. I call bullshit on this whole scene <gasps> what? Uh, every i have tried i've watched this episode four times olivia i have tried to believe this exchange and it is so not hitting for me wait like, wait, I wait believe. yep like the exchange as a whole or like this line from quentin the exchange i believe everything q is saying I do not believe a single thing that's coming out of Ember's mouth because he's just saying what Q wants to hear. And he's like, I will do it. I will. I'm going to be the one. I love Fillory. And Ember is just like, hell yeah. Why not? Let's do it again. He's been here, right? Like he's been in this situation Mm. before. Sometimes Julie isn't, but he's like only the pure and the ones who really love Fillory are the ones that can do it. And so he's like hyping Q up. And I'm like, I don't think he believes it at all. Like he's got this like little he the tone of his voice. And I was, I was like, this guy's fucking lying. And it bothered me so much every time I watched it. Do you think it's bullshit to the point that he's like setting Q up? Almost, yeah. Like it, it feels, it feels like he's like, why not? Well, another 40, 40 times? Sure. Okay. Go ahead. I mean, there's also the alternative that he's just bored and doesn't care. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to hype you up for entertainment. Yeah, but it, I doesn't, mean, it feel... doesn't mean he doesn't believe it. It just means like he's just playing around. I think he doesn't believe it... in anything. I don't think he cares about shit. I, oh, yes, I agree. I think he doesn't believe in anything. And I think that there's like this whole conversation that happens later that we'll have to talk about more. But like there's this like, oh, you're being bestowed with this great honor. You are the one. It's not he's literally volunteering and he's like sure you can do it and it's not this like moment that i think q thinks it is like it's not it's not like majestic or like an honorable moment they're like in a a temple that smells like shit (laughs) i don't know i never really thought about him like not meaning like i never really thought about it of like oh he's showed up this many times like why would he believe q would fix it now Mm-hmm. Hmm. We can keep moving, but that's just my well, take. I just I haven't sa- I haven't thought about this before. I know. Ever. I just like the first time or this the the second time I watched it ever. I was just like, this guy's full of shit. Like I just I don't know. I just don't trust him. Um, I don't trust him, but I I didn't not trust him in that way. But it's like the tone, the way he's talking to him. I'm just like. I don't know. And like, it also feels like it's easier for Ember to kind of be like, put in very minimal effort to getting Q to believe him because he knows how much Q loves Fillory. He knows how much Julia loves Fillory. Well, he's putting in very minimal effort in all things in his life. Like literally he's living in a shit filled cave. 
But he also, I see the part I focused on was that he was like, you love Fillory. You never stop. Julia stopped. Like, right. <laughs> he gets very right. weird about Julius having like not loved Fillory. And it's like, damn, okay. Like, yeah. Calm down. Um, yeah. Why are we focusing on that? Um, maybe because Julia was like the hero in the in past time loops or something, but not in this one. All the before would be the same in the time loops, right? They're just like rewriting from like Breakville's entry on, right? I mean, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Ugh. Okay, I'm I like know. Quentin. This is I'm... making my brain hurt now. Yeah, I know, I know. So Q says he's going to volunteer to kill the beast. I'm supposed to be here. I love Fillory. We get that great line where Ember's like, you love Fillory, did you ever stop because Julia stopped? And I just, not did you ever stop? He says you never stop. Yeah, it's not a question. He's, Sorry, <laughs> he's st- it's a fact. He's is stating it. Yeah, and I just it feels very. He talks about like Ember or Ember talks about how Q is like so pure and like the best person for the job because of how much and the way he loves Hillary. I don't know. Part of me feels like we're overthinking it. I think it's just that Ember wasn't flushed out enough because he's in just this one episode. Yeah. It, it also is just like cueing kind of like this, like parallel between Richard and Julia for me as well, where he was talking about like being God touched and why are some things like some people are called to it. And that scene felt like it had weight. And then this, doesn't like i it just i don't know so q says well the problem is i can't hold the knife because i'm not a master magician and he's like yeah right no problem and like a jar of semen is magically in q's hand and he's like here it is if you want my power then just imbibe this and no big deal which feels like a prank yeah I gifted you my pistol. Um, yeah. I like how you're like, just imbibe this. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Nike, just do it. <laughs> just imbibe this. <laughs> it's so, I just, uh, just yeah, feels my, like a prank. My note is no, 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 ew, boo, one star. <laughs> one star. One star because zero stars was not an option. <laughs> Correct. This is vile. I hate it so much. And then we get to my least favorite scene. I mean, it's not my least favorite scene, but there's this... Okay, so there the energy and the fun aspect of Jane recognizing something was off about Julia is here. And it's the same energy, but it is exactly opposite. It is the bad, yeah. the bad, bad part. So, like, nearly the same words. Like, yes, they both say that it's crudely made, you know? Yes. Ember says that her mind is encumbered. There's a shroud. And then just because he's been so like flippant about everything so far, he continues to be flippant. And it's just like, I'll I'll remove it. No need to think PK. Bye. Like that is his energy. He's just saying, snap, it's gone. Okay, bye. Yeah. And there's a point where Q Q recognizes what's happening a little bit too late. And he's like, no, no, Ember, it's okay. Um, I don't think it's too late. It's just that Ember is not paying attention to him anymore. He doesn't care. Yeah. He's very indifferent. He's like, oh, I'm occupied by something now. Shiny, shiny shroud in Julia's brain. Yeah. And then 
she fall Julia falls down like she's been punched and yeah. we're seeing a couple of very quick flashes of things. There is a bloody heart in a hand. There's Richard with his mouth bloody. Katie hiding under something. And yeah, Julia's in bad shape. Julia's in bad shape. She's gasping on the floor. Ember goes and fucks off. And then we pretty much cut to Julia and Q walking through the forest. And like Julia's trying to talk to her and she's just so freaked out. She doesn't want to be touched. She doesn't want to talk. And it's, it's bad. She begs him to take her memory away and he says he doesn't know how and the look that she gives him is just so like exhausted and disappointed and she doesn't even uh, speak on it she's just like let's we have to go yeah and then we have this little moment where q is like i know julia won't tell me until she's ready but that might not ever happen and it feels like we're supposed to get more voiceover but like the scene ends there. Well, and this is, yeah, this is chapter 10, helpless. And yeah. we're 30 minutes in and this is where the voiceover stops. Yes. He's technically still talking before, before yeah. he gives, before he tells Alice that she's the one. That's when he like closes his oh, notebook. Oh, okay. You're right. Okay. Okay. So this is the last chapter. Sorry. It just feels weird. It like stops there and it feels very incomplete. Yeah. And especially because it pays off because she does tell him what happened. We cut to the next scene and it's and it's Penny and Josh with Victoria. And mm-hmm. my note is where where are they all staying? This I is know. unclear to me. I have hideout because I can only assume they're hiding and it's somewhere. I think that's also part of why I'm confused is like I didn't write down any. I, you know me. I write all my notes yeah. based on locations. I didn't do that in this episode because we had the chapters. So I just broke everything up Mm -hmm. by chapters they don't do a lot to establish locations in this in this like episode though that's part of the problem because they literally were in somewhere in vancouver canada shooting in the woods like they just were like whatever we don't have any of the money so i mean they could have been like just like with all of the unmarked graves that could have been like oh like there's a million abandoned little huts that we're living in or something that we're like stopping in and route or whatever because it's not josh's hideout from the netherlands so i don't know anyway I digress. Penny says to Victoria, I was getting sick of hearing your voice in my head. Penny, do you know how to connect to people? Do you know how to be a person? Why? Like, he's like, like I really want kind of to not help a silly you. joke to make. Yeah. <laughs> he's trying to connect with her, but he's also not. He's like, I really wanted to help you so badly, but like, I have to know, like, how do you travel with all of these people? Like, how yeah. are you able to do this? And she's like, yeah, anyone can. Uh, she actually says we all can. And I'm like, yes. who is we all? But okay, moving on. Again, uh, we've been lied to about how many travelers there are. So I know. I know. I'm really annoyed. Whoever yeah. that, that that guy, he didn't know anything. Stanley. Um, yes, Stanley. So R.I.P. <laughs> so she shows him the tattoos on her fingers. We cut back to Alice, Margo, and Q talking about how the split like mission went and Margo's like yeah it was a roaring success and a twofer and she's referring to the fact that not only did they get Victoria they got someone else and Q's like who the hell else did you get I wrote and plot twist I know I when I was watching this for the first time I was like who the fuck is Victoria talking about and then I was like oh shit like that's yes. this is tough just like it was a twofer prisoner grab we have a twofer plot twist here Mm-hmm. No, they pull back the curtain in this like tiny little alcove and it's who? Christopher Plover. Dun, dun, dun. And he does not 
look great. He's got scars, like really old scars all over his face. Um, And this is a fun moment in the way that it's like these characters don't necessarily know who he is. Quentin knows who he is. Alice Alice. has read... Alice has read the books recently, but I'm like, she didn't see him in the house. Oh, she didn't. So she's probably seen like his author photo, but I don't know if she recognizes him in this scene because I feel like the vial that comes out of Quentin's mouth is only because he knows who it is. And then they're both like, oh, shit. Like they just saved this random guy because if they had known who it was, I think Alice would have left him to rot. Oh, absolutely. She had so much hate towards him. Yes. So plot twist number one, the other person in the dungeon was clever. Plot twist number two, this means that they were wrong about everything. And that clever is not the beast, but Martin Chatwin is. I know. Chaotic reveal. Heartbreaking reveal. Such a bummer. And... They kind of stop referring to the Beast as the Beast. They're referring to him as Martin now. Which is important. It is. It's so important. And it because even just earlier in this episode, Q has been actively trying to help Martin. And now that's who they've been fighting this whole time. Ugh. You said you were talking about how Plover's face is like deeply scarred, but it's also tattooed. And we find out it is markings for suspension magic, which means that he can't go anywhere. He can't travel. And like, there's like a lot of false pity and sarcasm because Q's like, well, I must have sucked for you. Like, like, can you imagine like all the fucked up shit you've done? And Plover is explaining that, like, how Martin became the Beast. And it's, like, this very twisted, manipulative talk about how he's like, ah, there's things I didn't know about him. And it's just really fucked up and gross. And everyone, all of our characters are kind of reacting in the same way that I was feeling. And they're like, your feelings and thoughts are irrelevant, you monster. Alice is like, we need to find Martin. And I'm just, my heart, like, breaks for Alice because Alice in the last in the scene with the or the episode with the house and the haunting she just so badly wanted to go back in and like find us a way to save these kids and it's like even though they've been fighting this beast and that they know that in multiple timelines he's just like straight up killed them she is like we have to help this kid you know like that's and she's recentered over that fact and she's not wrong for that like that's i think that she's kind of reshifting her point of view on who their enemy is yeah and so they try to figure out how to find martin we get some more exposition from plover talking about the wellspring which is an ancient location in fillery that is the source of all magic and i'm just like that's the name of a different episode why is that here (laughs) um but he basically explains that martin is stronger than ember and ember the magic from the wellspring is stronger than ember and ember and fillery runs on it Martin drinks from this wellspring every night and doing so has killed every human thing in him, which is very dark, but we don't, I mean, part of us is like, um, you're an unreliable narrator, Plover. I don't know if I can believe you, but the other part is like, we have seen this, we have seen the bloody smiley face signatures as sky is leaving everywhere. It feels pretty true. Plover says that he can give them the location because Martin can never hide his mind from him because of their connection gross we hate it um q rightly shuts him down and suggests that they test out using the knife on plover i love that yes i don't Um, know if they i don't know if they did it but i love it 
we get a very quick shot of Josh and Victoria leaving. Mostly we hear them and there's a note left behind and mm-hmm. Q over voiceover acknowledges that the, they left and that was kind of yeah. lame, but also we get it because they're yeah. like, what are you doing? Fair. I'm a little bummed because it's like we went through multiple episodes of hearing Victoria and we saved her. Also, I'm just kind of attached to Josh. Yeah. But again, fair. Um, They're like not real characters. They've just kind of been plot devices. We literally only needed them so Penny could learn how to travel with people. Yeah. 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 It's kind of a bummer. So we get back to the beginning of where Q was writing this new book, right? And he's like, I knew I was the hero of the story. It felt like the exact moment of my life had been building up to. And does he say, I have this all written down, but I don't know if it's in quotes. Uh, It's not in quotes, but reading, dreaming, loneliness, and magic. Did I just write that? Or did he actually say that? I don't know. Okay. I I just wrote down as he was writing, he realized the truth. And then Ah, he closes his notebook and goes to find Alice. Mm -hmm. When he does, Alice says how insignificant all their relationship drama is. And Q is like, I know you don't want to hear it, but I love you. And she's like, no, you don't. (laughs) Which is interesting. I don't have much to say about that, but it's interesting. And then we get this lovely conversation. Let's go. Since the first time I've read Fillerian further, I've been waiting for some powerful being to come down and say, quit in cold water. You are the one. Every book, every movie, it's about one special guy chosen. You know, in real life, for every one guy, there are a billion people who aren't. <laughs> Almost none of us are the one. Ember said. Ember is a, a little out of touch, I think. You're a better magician and you're a better person. And I think that if he'd met you, he wouldn't be so sure that it's me. You're the one that they say shows up every single time. It's you. I want to be the one. I do. It's just... I see adult part of me. The part of me that understands how magic works. It just just keeps screaming that it's you. Every time that Jane reset the loop, she changed something. So what if I change something? What if I give the blade to you? And this is all very good. Q has, as he says, this adult part of himself screaming inside him that he is not the one. He may be the protagonist, but he's not the hero. And that there are people better than him. People who can actually make a difference. And so, like we said earlier, he decides to do what Jane did and change something. Uh, yeah. And he gives the blade to Alice. Well. Yeah. He's like, what if I give the blade to you? And my True. Was- he doesn't physically give her the blade. Um- <laughs> <laughs> I was like, um, is this his way of like getting around having to drink the semen? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I was oh, like, cute. What are you doing? Um, it's still, it's still um, a big moment, but it is like when you go down to the brass tacks of what it is, I'm like, mm, maybe not. I mean, not he's fun. bi, so... Quentin? Yeah. Or Ember? Quentin. No, no. Oh, yes. No, I'm saying that it's like a not fun task in general. I don't know. Maybe some people. Yeah, because it's like a full cup of semen. (laughs) 
I hate it so much. I mean, I think Quentin wants this bad enough that he would drink a cup of semen. I agree. It's not, it's just like a funny thing to be like, oh, hey, my ex, here's this great power, but here's the way you have to get it. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's this cute line. Alice says, you're not as good as I hoped, Quentin Coldwater, but you're better than you know. And it's a nice little assessment of like people living up to your expectations. And like Quentin is like really hard on hard on himself and giving that validation to him is probably extremely needed. It's also just a big act of kindness on her part who has been so angry with him. And she yeah. could just say like she like she was saying earlier, our relationship stuff isn't insignificant, but I still hate you. But instead she tells him that he's good. Yeah. So she is sitting at the table and they're like, you yes. can do it. And Margo yeah. makes a comment about prom night. Yeah. She does it. Yes. All in one go. I wrote hell in capital letters. <laughs> nope. Not for me. Um, She downed yeah. it and her eyes glow bright green. And then she just gets up and picks up the plastic blade. <laughs> it looks so plastic in this moment. <laughs> Sorry, prop department. It looked way better in the dark. <laughs> and it's just like light and easy and fabulous. And then Julia comes in the room and asks to pull Quentin aside. Yeah. This next part is going to be hard, guys. If you haven't watched the show in a while, I'm sure you have not been able to forget this. Or maybe you have worked really hard to forget it. I don't know what to say other than tread carefully because it's going to be hard to talk about it. And I'm sure it'll be hard to listen to us talk about it, too. So, so this scene is pretty much taken directly from the books. So I will say that while I think the prevalence of sexual assault and rape in media for gratuity sake has become more and more prevalent like this is this show came out in like early game of thrones era you know mm -hmm. this was very common in media then and it's it's still very common but it is directly taken from the books i will say that it's not just like there's a lot that sarah and john made up and added into the story in order to flesh out the characters. And this is not one of them. Mm -hmm. And it's difficult. So we get lots of quick cuts about the summoning again. And then we see it pretty much in full without the soft glow of the uh, memory patch. The scene starts and Julia starts to look around. And instead of like Richard smiling at her, she notices the statue is bleeding. Their candles have blown out. The flowers look dead. And she tries to stop the summoning, but it's too late. The Our Lady that we've been seeing arrives, except she has yellow eyes this time. Yep. And she calls Julia a dumb little bitch. Oh, I got dumb little witch. Oh, but the most important part of this line is that she says, you can't unring a bell, which we know we've heard from the hermit that was on the Lower East Side that Julia and Katie encountered. Yes. And he said, be certain when you call. So mm, our lady approaches Richard and Julia tries to warn him, but it's too late. She magics his heart out of his body and takes a bite out of it. And then she... I don't know how to describe this. Like, it feels like she like looks like she like phases into his body. Yeah, I wrote she glitches 
into Richard's body. Okay. Um, as Katie hides under the table and everybody else kind of huddles together. Yeah. And now Richard has the glowing yellow eyes. Yes. And a bloody mouth. The gash in his chest where his heart would have been. He introduces himself as Reynard the Fox, the trickster of the faithful, the very stupid. He says something else in the middle. The trickster of the faithful. But he anyways, he's just being very like. I believe it's the faithful, the hopeful and the very stupid. Yes. Very quickly, he slices all of the throats of the three of of the other members that are huddled close together. And Julia watches the one woman, like, breathe her last breath. And Julia is, like, desperately trying to appeal to him. And Katie is hiding under the table. And it's the table we know that has fillery underneath of it. Mm -hmm. And Katie is telling Julia to run. And... Julia's not. Julia's She's not, not. going to run. No. Um, Reynard approaches Katie and says something about like he put that spark. It in was her. it was you, my yeah. hermit that it was my hermit that healed that healed your heart and now I'm going to taste it. Thank you. Yeah. And Julia Julia does not blocks his way to Katie and yep. says, "Don't you touch her." Yep. And he like goads her on and she very shakily says don't you fucking touch her yeah and so he so he says he's going to take julia first and it's very graphic and scary he pulls her to the ground and katie runs away and we get these shots of reynard on top of julia but also reynard from julia's perspective and his face is kind of glitchy in the same way it looked when he when he took over Richard's body and he has like creepy fangs and he starts like scenting her. Yeah, it's and really it's, awful. It's graphic and it's deeply terrible. Um, both the sounds that he and Julia are making as they struggle. And then they're like brief scenes of Q listening to Julia. I was about to say, I was like, I don't even know how to describe this. We like... Ex- cut to Q just kind of silently listening and then we cut back to Julia in that blood-soaked room with dead bodies um, calling somebody for help. It's still daylight when she makes this call and then it cuts to her in the dark trying to scrub up the blood from her floor Yeah, when Marina shows up. Um, Never been so happy to see Marina this whole yeah, season it was <laughs> such a good surprise like there's this strange deep relief when you see her where you're just yeah. like this is exactly who you should have called very yes good. marina is like i don't know marina has this like a tone about her where like i think we've seen this with her relationship before her and julia kind of had a falling out where she can be a very warm and guiding person if you are on her good side and we're getting marina like that right now julia literally falls and marina catches her yeah and she says where is it now she says it got what it's which it got what it's wanted it's gone which i love that is so smart like that would not be my first reaction and that's mm-hmm. so brilliant like marina knows there are threats in the world and she she's like oh yeah 
check your surroundings and then take care of people. Yeah, no. And she, Julia says like, what I need you to do something else, like other than just like help with this whole situation. She's like, I know it's going to cost me. And she's like crying. Yeah. It's awful to watch. And Marina says, Jesus, whatever you want, like whatever you need. Like she's, she's Marina's like, there are no, I want no strings. Yes. And like, yes. And uh, she says, whatever break bills did to your mind, you need to do to me. Ugh. And then we cut back to Q and Julia's like, I know, like she's trying to blame herself. And she's like, we were so dumb. Like, how could we have believed this? And he says, you were trying to do good. You saved Katie. And she goes, what about everyone else? And he was like, well, I'll help you, whatever that means. And Julia says, it means find him. And it means kill him. And there's a brief moment where they're kind of commiserating over the fact that it feels like an impossible task, but that's yeah. also kind of their thing. She says impossible shit is kind of our thing, which um, yeah. is a good line. I appreciate that. All in all, it's it's a deeply painful scene to watch. It just, it, co- it kind of like intentionally comes out of nowhere because we have been told for at least two episodes now that like this is what's that like oh everything went fine and i think you and i were rightly suspicious of it right but it's like i was about to say it didn't it doesn't feel like it came out of nowhere because we knew something was wrong like something felt off it was like out of nowhere in terms of chronological events yeah. I mean, it was like, for me, it was out of nowhere in the sense that like, we knew some, I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't have fathomed that this was what was wrong, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I, I couldn't know what was wrong. It's a magical universe. A million different things could have happened, but mm-hmm. um, this was very bad. Yeah. So after Q's rallying and possible shit is kind of her thing, we cut to the gang holding hands. Penny has his tattoos now, so they can all hold hands and travel together. And like, when did he get them? But it's fine. Um. (laughs) Before Josh and V split, presumably. So they are now at the Wellspring, um, which they say it looks like a a truck stop shithouse, (laughs) which accurate. Love that. And they all start to enter, but Julia hangs back. She's bringing up the tail end of the group, and she just kind of, like, looks around. I wrote, sus, sus, sus. She magics the door closed, too, and it's, like, a very, it's a very slick, like, little move. Like, and I only caught it, like, the second or third time I watched it that that was what was, that she was doing. Once inside, we get even more disturbing stuff. We realize that the Wellspring has been decorated to be a complete replica of Plover's writing room. It's very disturbing. We don't love it. Yeah. But of course, of course it is because trauma. We get a fabulous line from Margot who says, Fillory needs meds way more than magic. I wrote yep. so true, bestie. Yeah. And Alice, I think Alice is the one who says poor Martin because she's again yeah. bringing it back to like who it is. And like, there's also all of these flashes about what has happened in this room. And that's yeah. why, uh, yeah, poor Martin. And then we see a moth. And I wrote, oh, yeah. no, 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 no. One more time. Let's do it. He comes in and he is like Quentin Coldwater and his like very, wow, the voice is like, I don't know how to describe the voice. Altered. Um, distorted there you go distorted voice quentin says hi martin we know it's you and we finally see the face of the beast the moths go away and uh he's a guy 
It's just a he guy. He is a guy. <laughs> yeah, he's just a guy. And Q's really trying to appeal to him. And he's really trying to like talk to the kid that he only saw maybe yesterday in 1942 in Fillory. And Martin says, you mediocre always are so sentimental. And he says, most people would not walk to certain death 40 times in a row. You're no quitter. That is just the chat one way, isn't it? <laughs> the way that they talk to people. The way they talk to we, Quentin is yeah. Just, the way everybody talks to Quentin is just always you know. so. <laughs> but Quentin is trying desperately to appeal to Martin's humanity. But Martin's like having none of it. And he's like, let's get this over with. And he waves his six fingies. And he was like, wait. I have an offer from Jane that you would want, that you would understand. And he's like desperately trying to stall and he pulls out his deck of cards. Mm-hmm. And that's when Martin realizes it's a stall because it's Q's tell. And he grabs Quentin by the throat before Alice can like magic the knife from Q. So Q like moves around the room to kind of position Martin right in front of um alice and to me i was like i can't believe martin's moving like i i was like he's really like i don't know i was just like wow he really did just move into the strategic position and i guess maybe they wanted us the viewers to believe like yes this is it finally we're going to get it alice is in the perfect position to get him she goes to grab the knife the knife is not there um it's not there yeah yes and he says Something about Alice being a great caster, but have you ever done it bleeding out? Uh, he he says she's stronger now. Like, he mm-hmm. can tell that she has... I mean, she just, he, he doesn't know specifically that it's Ember's essence, but he can tell that she's, like, powered up in some way. He says, you're yeah. stronger now, but did you ever learn how to cast while you're bleeding out? And so yeah. she drops to the floor. It's almost identical to um, when they were doing the probability spell and she just starts bleeding from her orifices. It's very not good. Margot and Elliot just kind of get into like fighting stance and it's strange. Like, why wouldn't you just start casting? And Martin flings them against the wall. Um, he raises Penny's hands in the air and cuts them off. This is also canonical. And then he turns to kill Quentin. But instead, plot twist number three. Julia has the knife and Julia she's got it up has. against his neck. It took me a bit to realize that she had stolen it from Alice, but I got there that we get cu- a cut back to when she called Marina. Yeah, it's so jarring to have this crazy thing happen where Julia shows up holding the knife against the beast's throat, against Martin's throat. Sorry, I'm going to keep doing that. And then you just hear a dial tone and you're like, wait, like I literally like looked for my phone in this moment because I was like, that, that feels so wrong. And then we hear the dial tone before we get to the scene of her calling Marina asking for help, except now we see more of this moment than before. Mm -hmm. She says something happened and then she drops the phone, clutches her stomach in pain and then reaches between her legs, sees blood and semen. And she says something is still happening. And then we get the same green glowing eyes as we did with Alice after chugging the splooge. I don't know why I wrote it that way. Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and it's like, it's like a a horrible thought to think that like, cool, this is how gods 
give their power to people. Fuck that. Like, this is awful. Like, I, I think it's not necessarily how they give their power. It's almost like well, maintaining the God line. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. This is so, horrible. Something's still happening. Uh, and we cut back. Iroh has the same glowy eyes as Alice did after chugging Splooge. What the fuck? Um, this takes Martin by surprise. Like, this has not happened before. And let's all remind ourselves that the thing that changed in this past 40th timeline was that Julia did not go to break bills with everyone else because Jane was hoping that being separated from the rest of the group, it would make her stronger. So the implication here... Yeah, is that it did make her stronger. It did make her able to face Martin the Beast head on. But at what cost? Like, what a horrible... I mean, Jane couldn't have known, but like, fucking awful, right? Absolutely horrible. Yeah, so he says you're stronger too. And Q immediately realizes what's going on. Um, At first I wrote, he's the only one who knows why she'd betray them, but also nobody else is conscious except for Penny, who's screaming in pain. It's all very horrible this moment because there's like the sounds of pain and death as Julia is trying to barter with Martin. She says that she wants to make a deal since he knows how to fuck up gods and kill them. And he says, let's. And Q again tries to appeal to her, but they disappear. And Q just like looks around helplessly as his friends suffer. And the episode cuts to a sexual assault crisis line and then it's over and that's season one and that's season one collective deep breath this was a lot yeah Yeah. dark i just like hate i hate this trope and stuff you know like something very terrible has happened to me and it has made me stronger and like that is maybe a true thing that is like a lot of people's journey right and i understand that like as a creator and a writer of a character, you have to give them challenges for them to grow and for them to like meet challenges and change and stuff. I still don't like it. Okay. So this is something that I wanted, I was trying to talk about in the beginning of the episode that I, I was like, we should come back to this later. So Julia's narrative arc is that she, the bad thing that happened to her was that she didn't get into break bells. And so she, made her own path she found the hedge witches and then she got way too hard seeking power and seeking revenge and so she tried to go on a path of redemption turning that power and revenge energy into something positive and now we come full circle and she's back at seeking revenge Mm -hmm. it's very complex because like as a victim of sexual assault she deserves to seek justice but justice is not the same as revenge Mm -hmm. and it feels questionable as to what she is seeking here because she's doing this at the cost of harming others and that was what she was trying to get away from in the beginning of this Mm -hmm. i think her motivations like as a character make a lot of sense And it does kind of take her very like a lot of steps back to where she was earlier in the season but I think that, like, as of you are knowing that this is a character that was written this way, I'm like, I want, I want to say that it's being done in the best way possible. That it makes the character kind of, hopefully, gets to a point where it all kind of sorts itself out, and it feels like this is, it pays off, right? But right now, right now, I'm like, was it worth it? 
was this what needed to happen? I don't know. Yeah, absolutely not. It doesn't feel worth it. And that is in part because we are like in defense of Julia. But also like, so while the assault was written into the books, the assault and summoning, this moment is not. Like her Mm. taking the knife and bargaining with the beast is not part of the text um interesting so for readers who have been following along they definitely thought this season would have ended with the beast dying and that oh. is not what happens here that's so weird why would so so julia gets assaulted in the books but then like so what there's happens? multiple factors here because Julia's story, and I've mentioned this before, Julia's story in the books is not told concurrently with Quentin's story. It's the Julia's, second book. Yes. And so that makes all of this different because Julia was not with Quentin fighting the beast. Julia was like off summoning and with the free traders for quite a while right. in Rome, actually, when Quentin was in you know upstate new york at breakwells and fighting and in fillery eventually julia ends up in fillery as a high queen but i don't she's very changed i believe she is god touched at that point i'm gonna google it that's so interesting so in a way like what they did in the show is like kind of pulling her back into the main part of the story and sorry like yes actually that's giving what i her was purpose. trying to get to you sorry yeah because they brought her in to this timeline and didn't have like things happening so separately they're having it run concurrently but they needed like a way to kind of tie her into this plot tie her into this story i mean i think that it sounds like if you were if you were taking this book plot and then you were like well we need julia to be in this and you just put her in the same situation that's in the book and you go and you naturally ask yourself what would julia do in this situation this seems like what she would do given what has happened to her yes so it does make a lot of sense i did not know that she was not in these parts of the books and that like that yes. half oh my god so Sorry. this makes way more sense yes yeah <laughs> i just uh yeah i guess comparatively it sounds like this would be way more of a satisfying ending than the other than the book version but like i've never read the book so who knows i, just, I know i'm i'm trying to remember how this happened in the book um it's really hard to google anything about the books because it just shows stuff for the show because more people have read or seen the show so in the books, they don't really deal with the aftermath of Julia's assault. I guess we will see in season two mm-hmm. how how and if they deal with that. Yeah. And I guess yeah. we'll see who survives. Yeah, because right now it seems like it might be just Julia and Q. Maybe Margot and Elliot. We don't know if they were yeah. dead or just unconscious. Yeah. Ending on a cliffhanger. So fun. Shall we do our fun little things one last time for this season? I suppose so. What was your favorite line of this episode? Torn between, no, I just stabbed my hand. And this will make him easier to live with. (laughs) Uh, Mine was Q saying, volunteer tomato. (laughs) True. There's like lots of little speeches I really love. I love the whole volunteer tomato speech and I love, it just sounds wrong to say tomato now. I know. (laughs) I love the whole volunteer tomato speech. Um, And I also love Quinn's speech to Alice about not being the one. Yeah. 
I think that's so beautiful, but those are speeches and not lines. So yeah. Magic is the only queer coding I need. What was your gayest moment? I, I have got nothing. Two. Oh, okay. I, I got nothing. So, Aren't you proud so of me? I am proud of you. I'm ex- just enlighten me, please. Go ahead. The first one is uh, the Moonstones fucking. Okay. Yeah. Because uh-huh. I don't understand what the code for procreation in this multiverse is. Love wins. Uh- <laughs> Love wins. My stones are going to mate. <laughs> And then the second one is, as soon as I saw them, I remembered, oh, we kind of all slept with each other and hate each other right now. <laughs> right. Oh, uh, that was uh, such a quick, that was such a quick thing. I kind of missed it. So it just makes, cash, I mean, it's, it's so like messy, queer poly life. Like I have yeah. lived this, I have lived this and it's terrible. Uh, but it's also very much like the meme, like they had a consensual workplace relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Except it was bad. Uh, It may have been consensual, but it was not a fun time. The stakes were lower. They were not saving the world either. So I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Unless they were, who knows? Maybe you have an alternate life that I don't know about. So that's, that's, those are, they're both reaches, but I think they work. Yeah. I mean, at least you had something. I was like, uh, nothing. (laughs) What has you spellbound? Jane being able to see the patch on Julia's memory. That scene, I just like... I said it during the episode, but I really, really loved it. Spooky, but but really cool. What about you? What has you spellbound? I feel like it also has an extra air of magic to it because it's like pre-Martin Chatwin Fillory. Like it's still so beautiful and green Mm. and ethereal. Yeah. Yeah. It's not quite spellbound, but like as a writer in general, or I even though it's so cheesy, I love like meta cute writing the story for us in real time it's hot i love it when will he publish the link when can we give it kudos (laughs) oh my gosh love it yeah i also wrote opium air opium air is pretty good i think that it's pretty funny at this point in time like we have so much going on in the world part of which is the air is often filled with smoke and is dangerous to breathe in like can it at least also be opium air (laughs) We're struggling. Oh, no, we don't go air. outside. The air is opium. I just wow. say I had 10 pages of notes for this. It's insane. Um, okay. I had only seven. I just had a lot. I had a lot to write down. I don't know. It, it was just monologues against Ember. <laughs> All right. How are you feeling about the season as a whole? How, what are your feelings? It's still one of my favorite portrayals of if magic was real, what would it be like? And who would have it? I think that even after this season where things are not great and they're gritty and often very, very ugly and gruesome, it still feels like magic, but in the real world. And even Fillory this version of Narnia is just, uh, it's still good. It's still good, even though it makes me uncomfortable a lot of the time. I think part of the magic is how gruesome and gritty it is. Mm -hmm. It is not like magic is real and that makes everything good. Yeah, Um, Magic is real and it amplifies a lot of our problems. It's just like any other source of power. It's like it will be abused and the wrong people will 
use it for it to do bad things. And at the same time, it also like create a lot of connections to people that are just like kind of nice. And I love the characters on the show so much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> much like I agree with you. I think this is one of my favorite forms of magic is real. I really love the characterizations. I love the world building. One of my other favorite universes is the Buffyverse. Um, and Joss Whedon gets a lot of um, both critique and praise for the way he writes dialogue. Whedonisms is a term to refer <laughs> to like the way he has his character speak. And I think um, Sarah and John also have their own way of writing specifically humor and like bringing in language in a certain way like penny mentioning like elliot like bawling himself limp or something and like q talking about like not being okay because he stabbed his own hand like it's it's very very specific to them to the point where when you watch other things they've created you kind of know it's them writing it Mm -hmm. um so that is something that most often than not works in their favor and that i really enjoy other times it can toe the line of tiresome but I I really enjoy it no I think that the characters have character and I know that sounds really silly to say but it's like every single character in the show you can tell what they're like and it doesn't there are maybe little categories that they might fit into most of the time but they always have something that kind of pulls them out and you go yeah that's them and like I can think of a moment for every single one and I won't because there's a million characters I think having it be a magical universe and a magical school there's a lot of tropes they play with in not Mm -hmm. only this episode but the season as a whole but they always find a way to make it interesting to make it current a lot of it a lot of it works a lot of it works for me um not every episode was a home run not every plot device felt good or was needed but Mm -hmm. overall the show was engaging i think it even though like Quentin is often written as like the only protagonist. I think the way this last episode was framed, maybe not so much in terms of Penny. I think they kind of let Penny's plot fall by the wayside a bit. Yeah. But I think it's very clear that we have an ensemble of protagonists. And I really appreciate that in terms of the way they framed the season, the way they had the characters talk about each other, and also all of the themes that they explored this season, like the questions of what kind of childhood makes a good adult. What is the cost of becoming an adult? What is the cost of magic? What is the cost of power? All of these reflections that we don't necessarily have the answers to. Mm. And that's, that doesn't feel wrong. Like you get, no, not you ask questions that are never going to get answered. And I think that sometimes that's also going to be true about like TV shows and movies. Like it's okay if there are unanswered things because like we, yeah. as the people creating or consuming them have also not answered them. Yeah. I'm definitely not saying that as a critique. I'm more just a fact. Like these are the questions we're answering or we're asking and they're not necessarily going to be answers. It's just going to be a journey of reflection. And I wonder if those are the same questions we're going to be asking next season. I mean, my number one question is, are they alive? But we'll figure out the rest of it after. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we figured out the phone booth. So that, of course, that's your number one question. Did now. we? <laughs> let's email Sarah right now. She shared her Instagram post. I think our let's, odds let's of getting her. an answer to this question is high. So let's do it. All right. 
this is the end of season one. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at No Sidekicks Pod on Instagram or send us an email at nosidekickspod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay magical or whatever. See you at the Wellspring. <laughs>